0: James Candisami. So why does it matter, right? Why is it important for you to ask these questions? Well, in a multi-family syndication, you're dealing with other people's money as a general partner or a co-GP or syndicator. Those terms are all used interchangeably. And so you have to be responsible. You are taking on a very big fiduciary responsibility when it comes to other people's money. So you need to be very careful before you do that. And as a limited partner, you've worked very hard for your money. Most of these deals have a minimum investment of 50,000 or more. Um, I know that when I got my first uh, salary, um, annual salary was like $36,000 as an electrical engineer for a Fortune 500 company. That was a little while ago, but to save up $50,000 takes a while. So you really have to be um, careful before you choose um, who you invest with, what you invest in, et cetera. And then think about it, right? The last time that you spent um, money on buying an appliance, a car, or let's just say you were gonna get a contractor, right, to do some work in your house. Let's say it's a kitchen remodel and it's gonna cost you $50,000. What is the first thing that you would do um, before you invest, uh, before you hire this contractor? Can someone uh, either participate by typing it in the chat box or um, give me a verbal answer. What is the first thing you're gonna do before you hire a contractor, to do a 50K job at your house? Check for references. That's right, you're gonna check for references. So uh, remember that if you are a co-GP, one bad deal can lead to sleepless nights, and it can re- ruin your reputation if you don't produce on that deal. And you will have a lot of angry passive investors asking you questions. So the number one thing to ask for is you are betting on the jockey. Right? It's not just the horse, it's who's riding that horse to the game, right, to win. So the sponsorship team can make or break the deal. You really need to understand who is in charge because a lot of times you might come across a middle person who's a co-GP just raising capital and not really involved in all of the asset management, which is basically what happens after the deal closes, right? From the date the deal closes for the next three, four or five years, Who are the people in charge afterwards? They are the ones you need to go to with your questions, right? What is their track record, right? How do you verify the track record? Everyone's only gonna tell you about their great deals. They're gonna say, oh, my deal did so well. It outperformed, look at this. I did three X investors money, blah, 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 right? Who's gonna tell you the real truth of what actually happened in the deal? It's a passive investor. So you need to ask for references of a passive investor in each one of the deals that this sponsor has done in the past. Only then you'll know the true story of how the deal performed. If you just ask a sponsor for one reference, what are they gonna tell you? Oh, talk to this person who invested in my apartment deal where I did three X return in two years, right? Well, they're only talking about their best deal. So how do you find out about their not so great deals, right? Well, you ask for their resume. This sponsor, if someone could just mute themselves unless they're speaking, that would be great. Um, so if a sponsor is going to be um, talking to you, they're only gonna talk about their great deals. So what you wanna do is first ask them, oh, I have thousands of doors is how a typical sponsor tells you. Well, ask them for a list of those deals, right? Give me the names of all of those properties, where they're located, and then give me a reference of a passive investor in those deals. Who's gonna tell me the real story of what actually happened? Well, guess what, they missed their June distribution. A passive investor is gonna tell you that. The lead sponsor is not going to tell you that, right? So it's very important for you to figure out what is the source of your data on the sponsorship team? Is it the sponsor? That's like asking the sales guy when you're trying to buy, you know, get a contractor over, right? They're only going to brag about what they did well. Who's going to tell you the real story of what actually happened? It's the passive investor, the customer of that general partner who actually went through a deal with them and can tell you firsthand how the deal actually performed. So don't forget, it's all about the jockey, but it's all about references, getting the right references. The second most important thing is location, right? Real estate is all about location, we know that. It's if you don't pick a good location, no matter how great the sponsorship team is, uh, they're gonna struggle. So you need to pick the places that have all the, job growth diversity of jobs that means they're not just dependent on one industry in that location right like odessa military base in odessa or something as a location versus dallas of course i'm got a picture here of downtown dallas that's my favorite place is uh, dallas in general is my favorite market Uh, but there are a lot of really good markets similar like that right where you wanna see the supply versus demand, right? There's still a low supply relative to the demand, considering the population growth that's coming in, whether it's Dallas, Phoenix, um, Atlanta, Houston, um, I think James's favorite is of course, San Antonio, et cetera. So you wanna find places that are landlord friendly, meaning that when you have to evict a tenant, is the judge going to be in favor of you the landlord because this tenant hasn't been paying rent for three months or are they going to just favor the tenant and say well tenant has more rights than you the landlord right so you want to make sure that the sponsorship team has picked a location which checks all these boxes which is they have less supply than demand very high diversity of jobs and um, landlord friendly states So remember there's going to be a quiz at the end so don't forget this is the second most important thing in real estate is your market the third one who is your local boots on the ground why does this matter right do they have local knowledge of that area in texas you know taxes can make or break a deal so can insurance so if you don't realize that and you're you've got the sponsorship team from, I don't know, sitting in Canada or California for that matter and they're underwriting these deals without that knowledge of each location they're not going to know these little nuances when they underwrite a deal and therefore they're going to underestimate their expenses. So you know, taxes are a very big deal in Texas, right? But it's not that big of a deal in Phoenix. So depending on who is coming in and doing a deal in that particular location, we need to have someone with that local knowledge and boots on the ground. Right. And I can tell you, um, I think I see Jeff in the audience here, we've got a property in Cockrell Hill versus I've got a property in Carrollton. And those are both just little places within the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. And it's so different the way we have to deal with tenant laws and things like that. So pick, you're not just the team who has a local boots on the ground, but also the property management team that's going to run this deal, they need to have that local knowledge because without that, um, you're going to get stuck with really a very bad deal or very poorly underwritten deal. Crime is so important because when you have crime and you attract criminals to the property, there's either a drug problem, there's violence, etc., happening. You're going to drive away the good tenants, right? So that's why even though a particular zip code might not show up as a bad crime area, someone local can drive by the property, can look at it at night, can get a feel for, you know, um, how it appears in terms of safety to, let's say, a single mom who wants to rent that unit there because it's down the street from school. So these nuances really you find out better when you have a local eyes and ears um, on the ground. I can't stress this enough. If the person or the team doesn't have that local experience and background, um, it's very easy to make mistakes in the underwriting. And The fourth one, what kind of assumptions are they making? Because anyone can put a spreadsheet, as many of you here in the audience are you know, engineers, syndicators, et cetera. You can pretty much put anything you want into a spreadsheet and make it spit out the results you want. You want me to double your money in two years instead of five years? Hey, I could probably tweak the spreadsheet to do that, right? You want a hundred percent return? How quickly? Three years versus five years? How much of a cash on cash do you want? So it's all about the input in that spreadsheet, right? What are those numbers in that spreadsheet? How do you assume those rent bumps? What is your data? What is your justification? are you truly getting a comparative analysis done or are you just looking at some online data and saying that oh there's a nice a-class apartment next door to my c-class property i'm going to get a 300 dollars rent bump because my rents are so much below the one next door to me well that's not even a fair comparison right how could you compare a brand new property built in the last few years to an old 60 C-class property, maybe even with chillers and stuff. So how does the sponsorship team validate every number on the spreadsheet? That's the question you wanna ask is, how do you know that your expenses are correct? Who validated those numbers? Whether it's your insurance, your taxes, but also the property management company, right? If you're hiring a third party property management company, you need to make sure all of those costs Are achievable, right? Can you control those expenses month to month because you are already running another property in that area? So, the main question on all of this is if you don't have the local knowledge and you're not hiring a team with local knowledge, then a lot of the assumptions that go into your spreadsheets are not valid. So, what happens then? Well, garbage in is garbage out, right? Your data is only as good as you know, the assumptions behind every number that you put into the spreadsheet. Let me give you an example. You've got other income, right? I might say that, hey, covered parking is a premium. Everyone should be willing to pay at least $35, maybe even $50 for it. So I'm gonna go build all these covered parking spaces. Well, on what basis are you saying that you could do it? Is there a property nearby who's able to achieve that? Are the tenants, if you drive around, did you do a survey? Uh, What does the existing property management company say about it when you're trying to buy that property? If you speak to the, I mean, if you're a general partner and you get to speak to the existing property management company, they will tell you that in a tour that, oh yeah, tenants are asking for covered parking or not. But even that is a risky assumption. That's something that you can have in your back pocket as an ace up your sleeve for later once you take over the property. But if you make huge assumptions on things like reserved and covered parking, you may not be able to implement those things. The fundamental um, reason that you make money in a property is the rent bump. So unless the rents are significantly below market or in some other way, you can prove a strategy of doing upgrades for which the tenants are willing to pay for it. Or let's say you're going to do washers and dryers in the units. Yes, you could get $35 to $50 for it but probably not, you know, a $300 rent bump just from an interior upgrade if your rent is already close to the market rent. So a thorough comparative analysis needs to be done. So again, as a passive investor, this might be too much in detail. So the fundamental question to ask is, how are you making your assumptions on all of these numbers? Who has verified this data for you? So my property management company, for example, is gonna verify everything on the expenses that are controlled by them, like personnel costs. They should have a pulse on today, how much do you have to pay a maintenance guy? Maybe it's 26 or 27 an hour, right? Not 18 an hour like we used to pay, as an example. How much personnel do you need to run a property of this size, right? Is it a headcount of four people or is it more like five or six people? Well, it's not just the number of doors on the property. It's also dependent on how much high maintenance the property might be in terms of just the workload. So there are a lot of different assumptions that go into it. So you wanna make sure you have spoken with your property management company and they have validated these numbers as a co-GP. And as a passive investor, you ask, who's the property management company? Have they agreed to all these numbers for uh, the controllable expenses? And how do you assume these rent bumps? where's the data that supports it because this is everything right the assumptions that go into your spreadsheet and okay so who remembers the first one i said put it in the chat box or speak up what's the number one thing when it comes to who's the jockey who's the jockey that's right and the second one market market the market that's right so the jockey The market. What's the third one? Local, boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. Who's local? Are we doing remote control? That works really well for a TV, but it doesn't work when it comes to running assets, right? We want local. And the fourth one is the assumptions inside a spreadsheet. Every number has to be validated by someone else. So for example, in Dallas with taxes, We get our tax protest company to give us a message, an email where they tell us why they think this is what our tax numbers are going to be for the next two to three years. They know by county which judges and which uh, collectors are going after it for taxes. Dallas County, in particular, is getting extremely aggressive. Um, Johnson County is very reasonable, right? So you need to know these things by using a property management, uh, by using a tax protest company that is going to give you these numbers. Same with insurance. You need an actual insurance quote. When you get an actual insurance quote, what are some questions you should be asking? Have there been any losses in this property in the last three years? Have there been any claims filed, right? Because that's gonna change that insurance number, right? As we all know from our home and car insurances, once you make a claim, you know that number is gonna go up. So you wanna see if you can qualify for some kind of a group rate. but. These are just you know, a few of the little things that go into every number in a spreadsheet. So people can make these spreadsheets look quite magical in presentations. And you might just, as a passive investor, go, oh, that deal, they're going to double my money in five years. This deal, it's only going to be a 70% return in five years. I think I'm going to go for the deal that looks better. Well, as you dig in, you're going to find out a few more things. For example, financing, right? They're going with bridge debt. Well, if they're going with bridge debt, Until the day that they close, you don't really know what kind of proceeds they're gonna get on the deal. Um, Another underwriting I noticed has a refi plan in year two or year three. So if they are planning to refi the deal, guess what? That's a speculation. What if that year two or year three is right now, right this minute they need to be refiing their deal? What is the interest rate? It's too bad this timing isn't great, right? So refi is always a good plan to have in your back pocket, but if you're putting it in the underwriting and you can see it in there, that's aggressive underwriting, right? That's not conservative. So everybody says their underwriting is conservative. Ask them, do you have a refi already factored into your numbers? Because guess what? That boosts the numbers quite a bit. You add a refi in year two or year three and take cash out, that's a nice chunk of money. So you gotta watch out for that. So every little number in the spreadsheet, tell them to share it with you and make sure it is validated by a third party, independent, unbiased company, property management company, tax protest company, insurance, and it's an actual quote. Rent bumps are actually verified from similar comparative properties within a one mile radius, which look similar to the subject property, not which are just newly built in the last five years. These comparative properties must be within the same one-mile radius, but also even like the same side of the highway. Sometimes that influences it, like you might have an East Plano versus a West Plano as an example in Dallas area. And being on one side versus the other completely influences it, even if it is all within a one-mile radius. So um, there's just so many little nuances to this underwriting that um, you wanna make sure this team really knows their game. And you can figure it out pretty quickly when you ask them questions, are they able to instantly answer it or are they need to get back to you because they don't know? Because you wanna talk to the person who can answer these questions for you right away. Because that's the real sponsor behind the deal doing all these underwriting. Let me see, I'm trying to um, page down. Okay, stress test, so important. How do they stress test? What are the different kinds of stresses that they put their underwriting model under, right? What are the worst case scenarios for which they test the deal? As an example, how low can you take down the occupancy and still make your mortgage payments? How high can the interest rate go if you're under bridge debt to where you don't have to make a capital call? you can still afford to make your payments. So what are all the different stresses under which you have tested your deal and how do they perform under those different conditions? Can you combine a couple of stresses and see how badly the deal does, right? At what point can the deal not work, okay? So what's a vacancy shock? That's 20%, 30%, 40%. What about economic vacancy? Economic vacancy measures not just the physical vacancy of people in the building, right? You have 100 units and 10 units are vacant, you're at 90% in physical occupancy. But economic occupancy is, what if only of those 90 residents, only 85 of them pay their bills, right? Five of them don't pay the rent. Then your economic occupancy is actually 85%, while your physical occupancy is at a 90%, right? So that's the question to ask is, what are all the different kinds of stress tests these guys have done, these gals have done on this deal? And what is their plan to address delinquency? I mean, we're supposedly in a recession now, inflation is an all time high. Um, There's still a higher demand than supply, so everyone's increasing rents. Can these tenants actually pay it? What is your plan to address the delinquency when tenants don't pay? How familiar are you with the local area judges and courts and things like that to win a case? Can you actually evict these tenants? Or are you just gonna have a bunch of squatters? I mean, are we getting into an LA and New York kind of situation, right? How do you know that? What's your plan? So you must be able to answer these questions about your property, right? Um, What are some really tough times they've had in the past in their deals? That's a question I like to ask. What's the worst thing that happened to your deal? So in my deal, and I think I have one of my investors here on this call, one of my deals, we had a problem where the property management companies said all the right things on a weekly basis on the calls, but then the results still weren't there. They would say that, oh, five people are gonna move in by the end of this month. And I would ask for those move-in dates. Then I'd show up to the property, like the day this tenant is supposed to move in, the unit would not be ready. You know, it would be in a state where oh my gosh, they haven't even painted it, kind of level, right? So I know it's going to be a few more days. So what was happening was these move-in dates kept getting pushed out, and every time that happened, well, I'm losing five days of rent, a week of rent, two weeks of rent, etc. They'll say, oh, the maintenance guy couldn't come, or the make-ready guys weren't there, etc. So they kept making excuses. So even though on the weekly reporting they would say, oh yeah, we're high, we're pre-leased at ninety-five percent and ninety-six percent but the actuals were very different. So um, that was a huge challenge. And the way we overcame the challenge is we actually had to let them go. We had to get another company with a stronger reputation um, with whom we had references from other syndicators to say that they did a good job. So you want to ask your sponsors as a passive investor, how do they model worst case scenarios, right? Just like with basic project management, You want to know your critical path, you want to model the worst case scenarios, and you want to have a workaround or a way to mitigate the risk in some way. And that's one of the most important questions to ask them if you have already asked them the other questions, which is what? The jockey. The jockey has local experience and is really good, knows what they're doing, has a track record that you're going to verify by asking a passive investor. And if they're not willing to share it, we'll move on. There's plenty of deals out there, right? We know that. Everyone who's ever been a passive investor gets chased by probably at least twenty five deals a week at this time. So if they're not willing to give references of past deals and passive investors, move on. The second one, the location. If it's not landlord friendly, if it doesn't have a greater demand than supply, it doesn't have a diversity of jobs, move on. There are certain markets that are very good for it, and so you want to stick to those markets. And the third one, Anyone remember? Who's on the ground? Who's got the local knowledge? Who can drive by at night by this property? Who really knows what's the nuances within that area, right? Very big difference. Are they remote controlling? Is a couple of California and Canada investors remote controlling a deal in Atlanta, you know? And they might make that once a year kind of visit to the property or once a quarter. Versus, okay, I had a fire in a unit. I was able to go there the same day. Right? That makes a big difference. And then the fourth one is what? It's a big one. Who remembers? Number Assumptions. Every assumption has to be justified. Who's, who's giving you all this data, right? What is the source of your data? Because, As we know, garbage in is garbage out. And lastly, what are all the different stress tests that they're doing, right? To really mitigate the risk of this property.